0: expected. I think um, as we sang through that song, it's a a great reminder of uh, a conversation I had this week with a good friend of mine. We um, met over coffee and um, it was just a good conversation. Somebody that I hadn't seen in a while. And then um, if you have those kind of friends where um, you can meet and talk and uh, you can catch up after not seeing each other for a long time and it just doesn't seem like it's been a long time, and so we just we talked a lot. And something came up in the conversation that I thought was kind of fitting for where we're heading this morning, and that is um, when we first started the church. There was just this um, overwhelming sense of God's sovereignty and the fact that God is going to move and God is going to do whatever He's going to do. And I think a lot of that comes as um, you look at when we first started. There was Uh, No real clear answer to, are people going to actually come? Um, Are we actually going to be able to to do something like this in this community? And um, are people going to respond? Are people going to come to faith because of what we're doing? And um, it was amazing because I think there was a clearer view in my mind, at least, of the sovereignty of God, that God is going ahead of us, that God is preparing the way ahead of us, and he has a plan. And I think for us this morning, it may be good for you to hear, for me to hear, um, as we talk even about parenting this morning, that um, God's never had a moment uh, in your life, in your kid's life, uh, in the life of this church, there's never been a moment for him where he's kind of been caught off guard by the news that you were. That makes sense, so I think there's certain things that come into our life, and we 're caught off guard by it we didn 't expect it it 's unseen, and we don 't know why or how we got the news or, or information and we 're just kind of caught off guard and I think the hope and the, the reality is um, is that God already knew God already had that set up in advance and this friend of mine she said um, she quoted somebody and she said uh, it 's amazing that I think often that we have the wrong perspective. And I want to start with this this morning. Um, It was mentioned that uh, we often see life as a human uh, experience with spiritual stops along the way. And she said, "I, I think that's the wrong mentality. I think we need to see ourselves as this is a spiritual experience here on earth, a spiritual experience moving us towards eternity And we have little human uh, consequences or human stops along the way. And I think this morning as we talk about parenting, it's the same, that, that, that we are on a spiritual journey and not just a parenting journey. We're on a spiritual track that God already knows what's ahead for your kids and your life. And he knows exactly how he's prepared it. And we don't have all the answers. And so we're trusting that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. And it's a process, right? Um, Our growth in faith and and trust in Christ and becoming more like him is a process from the time that you accepted Christ from the first time till now. Hopefully, you're a different person. Um, You're trusting him more. You're growing in it more. Um, This church has grown and morphed from where it was to where it is now. And your parenting is the same. Um, I had a conversation as well last Saturday with, um, actually, we were out uh, moving some dirt at the church, I wasn't. Um, Tony was moving dirt at the church. I was just watching him move it. Uh, and uh, I was like, that's a great job, Tony. Great job, move dirt. And uh, somehow we got on the conversation about parenting, and he uh, made the statement, which is perfect for where we're heading in today. That I, and you've heard it before, but um, it's a statement of you never stop parenting, right? You, you never stop being a parent. Even when your kids are gone and, and moved out, it just looks different, but you're always going to be a parent. Same with our relationship with Christ. We are always going to be in Christ. We're always going to be growing in Him. And so it's just a journey and a process. So this morning, for those in the room who are parents, um, this is maybe really, really helpful and practical. We're going to just ask a lot of questions this morning. There isn't going to be a whole lot of like, do this into parenting. That's coming next week. This morning is going to be far more of just, here's some questions to think about in the parenting process. So if you're a parent, hopefully this will be helpful. If you're not a parent this morning and you're kind of like, shoo, not a parent, that's awesome because I don't want to be a parent yet. Uh, We were there. We were five years in our marriage before we even talked about kids and uh, we loved it. Um, No offense to my kids. We just loved it. Uh, We loved the five years where we could just be together as a couple and um, we parented chihuahuas for a little bit and that whole thing. But anyway, that's a whole other bad part of my life that I don't talk about much, scars me still. But uh, we, we, we see that even if you're not a parent this morning, hopefully you'll see that as you grow in Christ, as we look at the passage today, uh, this will be helpful for you as you journey towards Christ. Because here's the bottom line this morning, if you're not growing in Christ, if you're not seeing this key word called sanctification, which is we become more like him, if you're not growing in Christ, you're not going to be growing in your parenting make sense? If you're not growing in Christ and becoming more Christ-like, your parenting will suffer as a result of it. But here's the beauty in parenting, and here's a quote I'm going to give you from a guy named Paul Tripp, and there's going to be some things coming from him uh, as we talk about it this morning. But he says this, parenting, is the unfin- parenting is unfinished people being used of God as agents of transformation in the lives of un- other unfinished people which is true. We are unfinished as parents. So kids in the room, students in the room who you're kind of like, my parents are nuts. Yes. Yes, they are. My parents don't understand. They are a work in progress. Yes. Yes, they are. Uh, They go off on me at times and I don't even know what's coming. Yes. Yes, they do. But they are a work in progress. Much like parents, you probably said this about your kids as well. They're just a work in progress. Like they're just kind of working their way there. They're going to get there one day. But we're all unfinished people helping other unfinished people. And it's not a destination in mind. It's not elementary school is the destination. If I can just get them into pre-K, then I'll be fine. Or if I can just get them to 18, if I can just get them married and out of the house. No, it's lifelong and it's always going to be there. And the same is true in our relationship with God. God is our father. He is always going to be parenting us. Matthew 6, Jesus prays like this, our Father who art in heaven, right? Um, Ephesians 4, 6, 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Isaiah 64, 8, Jeremiah 3, 19, Psalm 68, 5, Hebrews 12, 5 through 6, and many other passages tell us that we have a God who is not just God, but who is a parent and is wanting to parent us. And so here's the reality this morning. If parenting is a process, and if God is our Father and we are in process, What advice do we receive from our dad on how to parent as we are in process? And we're going to look at that this morning. So we will be in Galatians chapter 6 this morning. And we're going to kind of work backwards through chapter 6, so stick with me a little bit. And so we'll be in verses um, 525 officially through 610, but we're going to kind of work from 610 and kind of work our way backward this morning. And hopefully, again, you're going to see this morning that parenting is a process, that it's lived out in our sanctification, and that we are, again, on a journey, and that parenting is not so much an event as much as it is a process and conversation. So I'm going to ask this morning that we respect the process as we move along. And it, we realize that respecting the process means that it takes time to become a parent. And so we shouldn't get all bent out of shape if we feel like we're not parenting well or we've had rough days or weeks in our parenting because it is a process. And so I'm going to give you each, each step along the way, I'm going to give you a question this morning. And hopefully these questions are for you to wrestle through as you work through this. Uh, this isn't like you're going to have all the answers today, but hopefully these questions can kind of spur some things for you to talk about as a couple or individually, and talk about how you parent um, in your own home. But here's the first question we're going to wrestle with or ask you this morning, and that is this: If parenting is a process, does the method that which you use to mo- do, is the method that you model for your kids the way God parents us? In other words, we all parent with some kind of method in mind. A lot of times in parenting classes or parenting resources or parenting seminars, we just want the method. Just tell me what works for my kid. Let me put it into practice and let's, let's just move on with life. I want to ask the question first off of in any method, no matter what the method is, no matter what conference you've been through, does the method or the model, does it model the way God parents us? And so we're going to look at how he parents us in Galatians chapter six this morning. We're going to start in verse 10. So verse 10, so then. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And then we go to verse 9. Again, working ourselves backwards a little differently here. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in season, for in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Many of us realize that in our growth in Christ, that statement of so then let us do good to everyone... is is good. We want to be able to do good to our neighbors. We want to do good to our kids. We want to parent the right way. But oftentimes, the problem isn't doing good. The problem is verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up, right? Because as you know, and we've said before, parenting, the, the days are long, but the years are short. There are days where you feel like, oh, my word, like my kid has done that thing for the eighth time in an hour, and I'm ready to lose it on them because they just don't listen or respect the process. And you could be at all different phases of this, but ultimately we realize that God commands us as we grow in Christ and as we parent to not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Which leads me to the really cool thing is that God realizes that parenting happens in seasons right? Parenting happens in these, these basically big areas of age in our lives. So let me get, throw this up real quick. If you, if you don't remember, these are some uh, helpful things when it comes to the phases um, of your kid and of your child and how you parent. And so the phases look like this, and let me just kind of describe this, because these are the seasons of parenting. Um, the discipline years are one to five. This is that time in your life, if you've, been, if you've been there or if you haven't been there, you will be there, where you look at your spouse and you said, are you tired of saying no? I mean, I just feel like, All I do is say, no, stop that, don't do that, and smacking hands off of things. Or, you know, the the sanctified parents, the ones that, you know, they don't don't want to be seen as disciplinarians, but they're in Walmart, right? And they give a little pinch. You know what I mean? The kid's acting up, you're like... You know, and they're like, and you're like, just calm down, nobody saw that, right? It's, it's just kind of how we whirl in the first one to five. And the discipline years are exhausting. Can I just say that out loud? It is exhausting in the discipline years because it is, it's, it's, it's training them right and wrong. It's, it's repeating at nauseum the same rules over and over and over again. And it's always feeling sometimes as if you're the bad guy in the situation right you're always feeling like i'm always just disciplining and i'm always just saying no and i'm always trying to keep them from grabbing the stove or or ripping the dog's ear off or it's just it's part of the deal or stop smacking your brother for the fifth time in a 5 minute period right stop it just stop all of you just stop living breathing existing just stop all of you right it's just it's just part of the phase and the discipline years are important because if you don't get the discipline years right You won't set them up for years later, which is the training years in the ages five to 12. In the training years, you're teaching them why the discipline is important, okay? In year one through five, I think you know this, but let me just say it out loud. In years one through five, the discipline years, you're saying no a lot and you're disciplining a lot, but ultimately in years one through five, you're you're probably not doing a whole lot of explaining of why because oftentimes in explaining of why, they're not gonna understand the explaining of why, right? If your kid is ripping the dog's ear off for the fifth time that day, and you're kind of like, honey, we don't do that for for the safety and security of our dog, right? They're kind of like, you know, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't phase them. Or, hey, you know what you're doing right now and screaming and yelling in the middle of the store? Uh, you're hurting and grieving mommy's heart, and, and we don't do that. They're like, I don't care, right? Or you try to explain that sin and the depravity of sin in their life is the real issue. You know, the real reason you're doing this is because sin lives in all of us, and you have the depravity of sin and Satan in your life, and, and we are just a little broken person, honey, and your, your nature is just broken and corrupt, and, and we just need to understand that, right? Like at age one through five, they don't care, they don't understand, they're not going to process that. They just need to know right and wrong, and they just need to know that there are rules, and there are rules for rule's sake, and there are punishments. We've done this with our kids, the uh, ages one through five, there were many times we looked at ourselves and we were like, did we just make that a rule, right? You know, the certain ones you never thought you'd have to say, like, you know, we had naked day nights, and that was kind of fun, because everybody was just, you know, all, not us, but our kids... <laughs> <laughs> They're like, a <laughs> phone call to make real quick, right back. But it was just like, it was just like one of those things, like they were just bound to determine they weren't going to wear clothes. And so we we're just like, we're not going to fight it. And so it was just one of those things, like we just, you know, naked time and, you know, there was little butts everywhere. And it was just running around and it was just part of the thing. But we also knew that there are certain things we had to enforce and we had to say and we didn't say. And, and so, Those were the things in the years one through five. We always said we're going to basically go back to these rules. And we put these rules in place because, one, it protects the safety and the security of our child. But also it teaches them that there are boundaries. And probably one of the biggest rules we had in this was one of disrespect. Disrespect and one of lying, and one of disobedience. Those are probably our top three, right? Disobedience, if there's any disobedience and not following through, when we've asked you to do something, there was probably some big punishment. Lying was always a big one, and uh, it was just one of those things we just said, we want these to be in place, and they're not always gonna explain them. And then you get into the training years of five through 12, and that's where you can start to explain these a little bit better, and you can start to kind of have conversations with them in elementary school about why we're supposed to wear clothes, or uh, why we're not supposed to do the certain things we're supposed to do. And, And we kind of train them, in that. You know, it gets weird when they're eight and they're like, naked day. And you're like, no, 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 no. We need to be having a jobs and not children's services. Build us. And so um, in the training years, you start to explain a little bit more about who they are. And you start to explain a little bit more of why it is they do it the year. And then if you do the first two right, then the coaching years is 13 to 18. And this is the fun phase for us. I think we're, we're kind of in this phase as parents. And, and this is that phase where you get to kind of just like let your kids call some shots and uh, see how they do, and push them a little bit in it, and say, I don't know, what do you, what do you want to do? What do you think we should do here? And, and let them kind of run with the ball a little bit, and then when they come back, we, we run the play, we, we bring them back into the huddle, and we're kind of like, hey, here's, here's some ways maybe to do it differently, or think about it differently, but we ultimately are kind of coaching at that, that point. And th- then lastly, the 18 plus is really the friendship years, where you start to kind of have different conversations with your kids, and Hopefully, if you've built the relationship well, then you start to have the friendship years. Now, here's, here's the problem that I know happens in, in many homes, and the, the thing that we never wanted to happen in our home, and that was this. We never wanted to flip the phases. We never wanted to reverse the phases because there's a tendency in any parent to put the friendship years into years one through five and the discipline years into the 18+. plus. You know parents like this. You know ones that are trying to really hard because they didn't really do any discipline in the years 1 through 5. They just wanted to be the child's friend in 1 through 5. And then their kids are out of control by 13 to 18. And what you used to be able to do with a little pinch at Walmart, right, you can't do at 18 right and they're just kind of like what are you doing right it just doesn't work The 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 ability to grab your child and place them in a car seat when they're going like crazy is not possible at 18 the things you were disciplining then should not be later in life they should be early in life and so my challenge to those who are maybe some newer parents is don't ever try and flip these phases because you need each of them in order you need to put the discipline years in early. You need a lot of that stuff. And here's the thing I want to tell you about your kids, and it, it's true about our sanctification and growth in Christ as well. We are resilient. Your kids are resilient. They are durable. They will do. They will survive worse things than your parenting, right? Um, they, they have. Our kids are testimony and true of this fact. Our kids have survived our mistakes in parenting. And they turned out okay, I think. And, uh, and so it's one of those things that, They are durable, they are resilient, and and, and you need to be able to trust the phases and why they're there. Discipline years first, training years, coaching, and then secondly. All that to say, verse nine is this idea of, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So don't give up in each of these years, especially the discipline years. Don't give up in those because those are the hardest years in parenting. And if you get those right, the rest can start to flow from there. Here's the big question in this 9 and 10. Does my method of parenting cultivate long-term or short-term success? Does the method or strategy that we're using as parents cultivate long-term or short-term success? And you're always wanting to shoot for long-term For those who aren't parents in the room, let me just ask this. Is is your method for following Jesus Christ long-term oriented or short-term success? I knocked out five devos this week. Well, that's great. That's good discipline. But what's the end goal? Is it to just knock out the devos or is it to actually have a relationship with Jesus Christ where you're growing? So does the method cultivate long-term or short-term success when it comes to those things? Sanctification, parenting, both sides of the same coin. Let's continue in verses six through eight. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal Life. Let me give you the question up front. Does our method of parenting build selfish fruit in me or not? Does, does this method build more selfishness or less selfishness in me as a parent? Because what six and eight are saying is that what you practice and teach to your children should be lived out by you. Because any child, especially a middle school or high schooler, can spot a hypocrite pretty quickly. And if it's their parent and they see them living one way at church and a different way at home, they're going to really start to kind of wonder what kind of fruit are we really reaping here. They're going to see that what is taught here versus home is very different. So how does that work? And you're going to be left with some awkward conversations because he's basically saying the same truth in our faith. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. So if your goal is short-term success and being feared by your kids as a father, right? I will be in control of my house. I will be the authority in my house. I'll make sure my kids understand that. And my job is to be feared by my kids. Then you will reap the rewards of being feared as father, which ultimately, most likely, I've seen ends with rebellion, but you can, you can try it out. Or if, if your method for parenting is, I will be in control, I will, I will be in control of my kids, I'll be in control of every situation, I'll make sure that my life is controlled, there is no chaos, um, I'm just going to schedule it, it's going to be perfect, then you will benefit, you will reap the rewards of trying to be in control. Most often, you see that in anxiety and in craziness and in comparison to other parents and in comparison to other models, and you start to really don't understand why you're parenting except for the fact that I've got to keep up and I've got to be in control and I can't lose control. If I lose control, and oh, it's not what we're going for. If one of your short-term goals is to be seen as the together parent, right, the, the, the good parent, the, the, the perfect model parent. Then, then, then you're going to reap the benefits of that. And, and unfortunately, there are probably going to be some negative benefits of that. And so God's saying, I want you to reap something bigger. I want you to trust that you have a father who teaches you how to parent and follow me and, and, and let me show you how to parent, rather than trying to produce all these selfish fruits that he mentions actually earlier in chapter 5. So that's the big question. Does this method build selfish fruit in me or not Am I just trying to, 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 to eliminate problems in, in, our, in my parenting, or am I truly trying to fight for the relationship? We move on. Uh, chapter, or verses four and five. Let me begin in five. If we reap what we sow, if we're supposed to do good and give, uh, and especially to those who are in the household of faith, if we're not to give up and we reap what we sow, he continues on in verse five, for each will have to bear his own load. In other words, as a parent, you each will have to give an account for your child before Christ one day it's not the church's issue it's not the youth group's issue it's not uh, the uh, the 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 kids ministry as good as it is it's not the kids ministry's job ultimately all of us will be responsible one day before christ to present ourselves before him and the question will be how did you love the church yes how did you love other brothers and sisters in christ but ultimately how did you parent how did you shepherd the one closest to you that that child that i entrusted into your care how did you shepherd him for each will have to bear his own load verse 4 but let each one test his own work or the load let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself and not in his neighbor in other words, he's saying, don't worry about the comparison issue of, well, that parent does this, and, and apparently cloth diapers are the way to go, but we use these, or, or apparently they're supposed to be this kind of neutral, safe kind of toy, and we, we, we allow this. Or you can get all those kind of weird scenarios, or private, public, you know, the whole school debates or whatever. It doesn't matter. He's basically saying, I want each of you to test your own Work. And here's, here's the beauty of this, is this word work is actually, in context, he's talking about giving towards the needs of the local church, but it's a broad enough word that Paul uses that we can also use it in our sanctification and how we grow in Christ, and we can also use it in our parenting. He says, each of you must test his own work and let this, his reason be both, I'm sorry, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Bear your own load, check your motives, in parenting. Let me give you this from uh, the same author uh, in this idea of parenting. Um, He says this when we talk about the idea of carrying our own load or really checking our motives in parenting. He says this, because most of us don't parent with a sense of purpose prepared by God, that, that he will give us the next opportunity or that our parenting is an ongoing process. Our motives can be selfish, he mentions, and he says that our parenting, if they're they're not motivated by testing our own work, he says they can be reactive in nature. Surprised that another problem has called us into action. We react to the moment in the best way we can. The problem with this is that reactive parents tend to be emotionally reactive. Because we are not carrying around with us the project mentality or the process mentality, he says, we tend to see these moments as interruptions and hassles. And because we see these interruptions and hassles, we tend to deal with them emotionally. And here's some of the things we're supposed to check in our parenting is our emotions. And he says, if you just parent out of reaction and you don't see this as a process, he says, what this creates for your child, thought this was very interesting, what this creates for your child is an irregular and inconsistent authority structure. Yesterday, you weren't doing well emotionally, so the racket in the house drove you nuts and you yelled at your kids. Today, you're feeling good, and the same noise level that got them into trouble yesterday doesn't get them into trouble today. We've all been there. Sadly, rather than growing in a sense of need for and submission to the authority that God has placed in their lives, many children then become, and I use this word, I thought this was very interesting, children then start to become emotional weathermen. (laughs) They have come to understand that the rules of the house tend to change with the emotion of the parent who is present. So they're constantly checking the weather in order to gauge what they can get away with and what they can't. You see, he says, one of the things that we will be responsible for in the motives is is this idea of our emotions. And do we parent emotionally, reactively, or do we parent in a process mentality? He says, because if we we just parent reactively, we can create these, what he calls, emotional weathermen. That our kids are never really sure what they're going to get when they come home from school that day. They don't know if they're going to be getting the, the good dad, the fun one, or if they're going to get the angry, grumpy one. And I, I have to say, this is true in our house as well. Like There are certain days where emotionally I'm spent and done, and, and, and unfortunately, obviously, you know that, that always comes out in your family. And your parents or, or your kids are always wondering and guessing, hmm, which one are we going to get today? Is it going to be the one who's just out of control and, and angry all the time, or are we going to get the fun one, or how's that going to work? And that's one of the things that as parents, we're called to check our motives. And we've all seen that. We've all been part of that. But I think here's the thing. Don't beat yourself up too badly if that's you. And don't give yourself pats on the back too quickly if that's not you. Because ultimately we realize that this parenting is, again, a process. And it's a process to move us toward. And it's again, it's reinstating again and again to our kids. Hey, dad is a, is a work in progress. I need grace. You need to give me some grace. And I apologize for, for losing it the other day. I apologize for wanting to, you know, go off on, on everybody in the house. And I apologize because that's, you know, I was just a rough day and I took it on you guys. I apologize. That kind of transparency works in parenting if we just kind of keep it to ourselves and we feel guilty and we don't move out of it, then it causes more damage. So he says in here, verse 4 again, test your own work that the reason is both maybe in himself alone. So first off, it tells us to check our motives. Are we emotionally just reactive or are we parenting in process? And here's the second thing it asks us, we, we we have to ask the question as well of do we compare ourselves to other parents too quickly? Do we play the comparison game and start to see that they're better off than we are, right? We do it in our parenting. We do it in our spirituality. We compare spiritually to other people instead of saying, I'm going to bear my own load. And here's how this may, may work out. So let me just give you a quick test and you can kind of play along here. Okay? So there are typically two kinds of parents uh, in any household. There's the yes parent and the no parent. Okay? And you probably fall in one of two categories. Uh, typically how this works is if any request comes up from your child... Your first instinct is either yes, or your first instinct is no, okay? Uh, I tend to be, I don't know what I am, i probably am a little more no. I probably am a little more no. I probably am a little more law, i probably a little more justice, a little bit more like, mm, no, let me process that to figure out all the equations that could go wrong with that, and then we'll figure out whether this is appropriate to do, and I'll get back to you, right? That's, that's probably me. Uh, my wife's probably a lot more of the yes. Like, sure, let's do that. Why not? Uh, let's, let's go ahead and do that. And whatever they ask is just a simple kind of yes. Now, here's what happens in your own parenting in the yes and no parents. Whether you fall in one category or the other. I'm not gonna make you raise hands, okay? But, but here's what happens when you fall in either of those categories. Isn't it true that typically the yes parents always second guess or judge the no parents? And all the no parents secretly judge and, you know, undermine the the yes parents like we were the no parents like we're always kind of like well they always say yes so their kid's going to be out of control like of course they're going to give all the fun stuff and just wait I'm telling you at 18 their kids are going to be crazy because they just have no boundaries in their life right and all the yes parents are judging the no parents right because they're like oh my word Oh my word, just, just let him have some fun for crying out loud. Like, it's just a, it's just a toy. It's just, a, just let him have some fun for, for one day. And that can often happen outside of us, but that also happens inside of us as, as couples, correct? Right? Oh my word, she's letting him do that thing again. She's letting them, And it drives me insane. And so we just, as maybe you know, just kind of, if we're no parents, we kind of like just hold our tongue. And then we wait for it to blow up, and then we're like, yes, he told you. I told you, I told you no, right? Or the no parent, like you said, them no again and again and again, and their kids are like just bored out of their mind. And you're like, see, I told you, let them have some fun. Let them breathe, take them out of the cage for a day. Let them do their thing, right? Each of these models has the ability to cause friction in our marriages and in with other couples. But here's the reality. God says you're responsible for your own work, but... I am fully confident that we, whether you're a yes parent or a no parent, need to spend more time around the opposite. i fully convinced of this. Like if you have other couples around that you tend to couple together as no parents, spend some time with some yes parents. Just, just break out of the bubble a little bit. And even if you leave the house, you like, oh my word, their kids are out of control. Oh my word, right? Or you walk away from the other house, and like, oh my word, they must have zero fun in their life. Like they just sit down and read their Bible every single day and like verse by verse, tell me who do you desire under the law, right? I mean, it's gotta kind of like, that, spend some time back and forth because what happens is you start to kind of Form the perfect middle. And, and it says here, it says, my fear is that you will boast in your own work and not worry about what your neighbor is saying because if we secretly judge the other styles, I'm just being honest, we do, then just worry about your own work and try and give some grace and work some things around. Because here's the big question when it comes to our own family and our own work, and this is kind of an off question, but I think it fits. Does this method work with our child's personality? Or you could say, does this method work for our family, right? There's not a, in the Bible, there's not a like clear-cut chart of Monday, do this as a parent. Tuesday, do this. Thursday, weekends, here's how you spend your weekends. Like, it's just not, it's not in there. So, know what works for you, know what works for your child, and parent in that way. Moving on, he says this um, If you don't understand what you've been called to as a parent, you will always set up unrealistic expectations for your children and frustrate you as a parent, which gets us into Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 3. Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, which when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Right? Brothers, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual to restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's not just your brothers and sisters in Christ, that's your kids as well. That's in how we parent. Do you parent with the heart in mind in this idea of spirit of gentleness? Or, or do you want to just right and wrong, we're going to fix the problem. He says, even in our parenting, we can put this into our parenting application, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And then he says this, and this is so good for us as parents, keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so for the law of Christ. How many of us in our parenting, and we're trying to do the right thing, our spirit gets tested, we start to fall into temptations of anger or fear or guilt or, or whatever it is, and we parent out of fear or guilt or manipulation or not being the right parent or not doing the right thing. We fall into the temptation of sin, and then we start parenting in sin versus parenting in the freedom that Christ gives us and then allows us to parent in a spirit of gentleness and a spirit of being spiritual and a spirit of being restoration of the relationship, does your parenting method address the heart issue or just the behavior? And I know that's a great question, and I know that's it sounds really good, but here's what I also know. On the way home, you're probably going to get into some kind of family meeting or some kind of family conversation <laughs> that, that may not have been planned. Tomorrow morning, you're probably going to wake up. And for those who are morning people, you're going to wake up ready to go. For those who are not, you're going to wake up pretty grumpy and your kids are going to do something or say something. And you're going to be like, ugh, right? right? And we're always trying to parent towards the heart, but ultimately we always parent towards the behavior. I'm not asking you to get it right every time or to knock it out of the park every single day. I'm just simply asking you to think about this verse, this question in process, And say, in process, in the last year, in the last six months, have I parented more for the heart or have I parented more for the behavior? Do I want them to do the right things, be involved in the right events, to to do the right kind of thing as a kid should do? Or do I parent in the last six months or year with the heart in mind that they will be somebody at 18? Not that they have the right career, not that they have the right whatever, but are they the right person? Do we parent with the heart in mind, and when the heart's in mind, we're always to, par- to parent in a spirit of restoration and a spirit of gentleness. As you think through the phases, even this is a great question to ask. And even when you think of the different phases, whether it's the discipline phase, you want to put that back up, the discipline phase, or the coaching phase, the training phase, whatever it is, the question of heart comes into all of them, right? even in the discipline, you're going to break their hearts a little bit in in 1 through 5. But I would maybe challenge a little bit and say, I don't know if you're going to break as many hearts as if you're going to break as many wills. (laughs) Because ultimately in 1 through 5, what you have is a broken, sinful, and you're like, not my kid. Yeah, your kid. Uh, All our kids are. Broken, sinful, needing grace in Jesus' child, right? And What you ultimately have is a will that is strong, right? You remember those ages, one to five. And their will is so strong that they're like, I will break mom, right? I will break dad today. And I don't think they ever say that out loud, but sometimes you feel like it is their mission, right? They are ultimately there. They almost got me today. I almost lost it in the store. I almost got it on the news. It was one of those days. But I, I have to remember, even when they're trying to break me, even when I'm, I'm just I'm dealing with the will, and the will needs broken and brought into the submission of Jesus, and if I think of it that way, I'm parenting to the heart and not the behavior, right? If you're thinking of just breaking the will at discipline years, you can do that fairly easily. Not healthy, but you can do that fairly easily. If you're thinking of the heart in the training years and not just the behavior that's different. In elementary school, right? And they, they're trying to make friends and they're trying to not act up in class and in the teachers and parent conferences and the whole thing and you're trying to train towards the heart. Your, your, your conversation should be different if you're training for the heart not just the behavior. Same thing in the coaching years. You're trying to develop in them a heart that loves Jesus. That when they leave your house, they still love Jesus. That they're still processing what it means to grow in Jesus. So that when you get to the friendship years, you're not even worried about behavior. It's all heart. It's all heart because you can't control the behaviors anymore. And hopefully as you've trained them to to fight for the heart and the relationship with Christ that that starts to change. Does your parenting method address the heart issue or just the behavior? And last but not least, here's the beauty of all of this. And here's what I love as we end this in verses 5, 25, um, and 26. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Here's the truth. You can't parent in your own strength. You just can't do it. You don't have the ability. I don't have the ability. You can't be more like Christ in your own strength. You can't grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ in your own strength. You just can't do it. So what has he done? He has left us the Holy Spirit in our lives to provide us with the strength that we need to do it. And he says, as you live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. And if you do these things, it should involve the Holy Spirit, other parents. But ultimately, it's saying you can't parent in your own strength. You can't parent alone. You can't grow in Christ alone. You need the Spirit's help. You need other people around you. So that you don't become, verse 26, provoking one another and envying one another. That's ultimately what conceited is. When you're conceited, when you're arrogant, either one, you're provoking others, which is your kids or others around you, or you're envying other parents. And this is not healthy either. So he says, live by the Spirit, parent in His strength and not your own strength. Biggest thing again this morning, you are not left alone to parent alone. You are not left alone to grow in Christ alone. He says, I have given you a helper who is the Spirit, and this is a process. This is a journey as you parent. So this morning, all of that to say, you are a parent in process, and you are heading somewhere. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are in process, heading towards eternity. And this is a process. This is a journey. So don't get bent out of shape because you blew it yesterday or the week before and you just feel like I'm just a terrible parent because I never get it right. Don't put all the weight on yourself of I have to have every exact conversation with my kid about, the, my fa- about their faith and about this and I got to nail every conversation. You ever feel that way as a parent? I got to nail every conversation. I got to nail every dinner time activity. We got to do all the right crafts. We got to do all the right stuff because if I miss an opportunity, I failed as a parent. Here's the reality. They're not going to remember half the stuff you do, Honestly. Right? If I ask my kids, hey, do you remember what we did in years one through five? They're like, well, I don't know, naked time. You know I, mean? Like, I, I mean, it's just not going to happen, right? It's just not going to be things they remember. What they're going to remember is that mom and dad are in process as they love and grow in Jesus. And we as parents are trying to get them to do the same. We are a parenting in process, so don't worry about every nuance. Trust that you have help on your side as you parent in process. That's week one. Parent in the process. Next week, we're going to get some more specifics, okay? So this week is large, big. Know that you're on a journey. Know that you don't have to get it all together at the right time. Next week, we'll get you some specifics about how do I actually do that. Good? Make sense? Let me pray for us as we parent and as we grow in Christ. Rich is going to lead us from here and then uh, give you a couple announcements as we close out. So, Father, we thank you this morning that we are in process. We thank you this morning that you have not left us alone in our faith. You have not left us alone in our parenting. You have said that you have given us a helper, which is the Spirit who lives in us. And so, Father, I pray this morning that we would understand that that we are in process, that we may not get it right all the time, but we have you on our side. And Father, as we parent this week, I pray that we remember that. I pray that we would fight for the heart. I pray that we would fight for not just right behaviors, but a love for you. Father, for those who aren't parents in this room, and we, we talk about our idea of growing in you, I pray that we would remember that we are a work in progress. We are not where we were, praise Jesus Honestly, thank you. We are not where we were. We're not where we want to be. But we are growing in you. Help us remember that as we walk this week. Near prayer.